Hello everybody, Gary Stuckey here today on Real Music. I've got Gunnar Nelson of the band Nelson talking about the good old days and 30th anniversary of After the Rain and some surprises, so much more. So stick around, we'll be right back. Hello everybody. It's Gary Stuckey here. I'd like to thank you for giving to this podcast over the past year. It means so much, and thanks for listening. If you'd like to give any amount of money, please do so by clicking on the donate button. And I appreciate it so much. And thanks once again for listening to real music right here on Anchor.fm. Welcome back to Real Music. I'm Gary Stuckey. And today we've got Gunnar Nelson. That's right. You know, he's the grandson of Ozzy and Harriet. That awesome family from the classic days of television. The long-running TV show, Ozzy and Harriet. What an awesome show. And, of course, they're uh, Gunnar's late great father, the legend, Ricky Nelson. Had all those hits, those songs everybody loved him my dad loved him so much taught me to love him my mom you know had a crush on him back in the day all the girls did he was gone way too soon and of course gunner and matthew with 30 years of after the rain celebrating it this year and it's hard to believe right we're not getting that much older are we but Gunner is talking about so much more, so many stories. And did you know his uncle is Mark Harmon? You know, Gibbs from NCIS? Yeah, I bet you didn't know that. You'll learn some more stuff. It's, it'll be educational and fun and all that cool stuff. So stick around and enjoy this interview with Mr. Gunner Nelson. Hello, this is Gary. Hey, Gary, it's Gunnar Nelson. How are you? All right, Gunnar Nelson. I, I think I, I know, I might know you from somewhere. Was it, uh, oh, right yeah. on, man. Right on. Well, I hear the accent. Where am I talking? Where am I, I talking to you from? I'm in, a, I'm in Alabama. I'm, I'm south. Oh, all right. South all right. of I'm you, from, right? I'm from L.A. too. You're from, that's <laughs> exactly, that's what I tell people. I'm from L.A. And, they, you know, sometimes they, don't get, right. they don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. I live in Nashville. I speak your language, brother. That's it. You're one of us now. You're you're a southerner. That's it. I like that. Well, amen. You know, 27 years into this, I have a feeling I'm considered a local, so it's all that, good. That's good. And you blend yeah. in well, you know? No, I'll never blend. Oh, I'm come not on. good for blending, you... but uh, <laughs> but it's okay. I know how to barbecue, and, barbecue, and I know how to fish, and, and uh, you know, I take care of my neighbors. So. Well, that's it. Yeah. You've got it. Yeah. Can you say y'all? Do you say y'all a lot? Uh, well, yeah, y'all without an apostrophe. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm just checking. I'm I'm making sure everything. You know. Do you say uh, what else? Do you say I'm fixing to? I'm fixing. I'm fixing to go Absolutely. outside. Absolutely. I'm okay. fixing to. Absolutely. I'm, there you go. Okay. Then it's all settled. You're you're southern. Okay. <laughs> Mike could. Mike could. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, man. That's mm-hmm. good. All right. And and uh 
and uh, to to make it clear, you're not the Gunnar Nelson, the Icelandic professional mixed martial artist, all right? No, you're I, not I, that I, guy. you know what? Fortunately, that can that being confused with that guy is not a problem for me because apparently he kicks some major ass. <laughs> exactly. Don't mess with me, man. Yeah. Don't mess with don't mess with Gunnar Nelson. That's either it. one of them. He you know? yeah, either one. The the twins will kill you. Don't mess That's with those guys. Right. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Uh, all right. So, uh, are you ready for some uh, questions and fun and yeah, all brother, that stuff? Let's, absolutely. Let's do it. Sounds good. All right. Uh, let's see. Well, first of all, before we get started, there's this lady named Carney Wilson that told me to tell you uh, that she loves you madly and she misses laughing and singing with you. Is what she told me. Oh my to. gosh, uh, she's one of my favorite people ever. And I love Carney. She. She's she's totally awesome. She gets on Instagram and she um, sings and she you know, her daughter sings and she cuts up and she's like the she's got like the greatest personality ever and I love her. And uh, she really wow. does. She's she's really seriously good people and you know I just respect her so much for growing up in Hollywood and in the family that she was in around such confusing people and confusing times and she emerged from that whole thing with her heart intact. Right. You know she's just a, a great girl. She's real. That that's the truth. But she yep. she's uh she comes on there a lot and she you know, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm just honored that she knows, you know, I'm just a peon, you know, and she knows who I am. But uh but I appreciate her and appreciate you for uh, doing this today and uh Well, thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, and, 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 and I've said this I've said this to a lot of the people I've been interviewing, you know, I'm I'm a big fan. Everybody I talk to on here, I'm a fan. It's not like I just I think I'll interview these guys. I'm actually a fan too that I, and I grew up or, you know, I listened to, you know, the albums, like, you know, After the Rain, I was like 16 years old, and I, and, uh, and I was... Good was time good. to listen to rock and roll, man. Hey. I mean, and also a confusing time for you, because just a couple of years later, grunge kind of invaded the world, it, and... It sure did. And, it sure yeah, did. it just changed everything, you know? It kind of ruined some, uh, the, the you know, the, the music that I was enjoying, and it was like, I just got into it, and it was like... It's over. <laughs> well, right. you know, to me, to me at that time, it was, you know, of course, I, I lived through it as well. I yeah. mean, the biggest, I mean, clearly it was a business paradigm shift. It was engineered yeah. by the industry like the death of disco was. You yeah. know, the records back in the 70s got too expensive for the the six major companies to make. And right. so they decided to change things then by going to England and finding a local music scene called punk where those guys would basically for a dime bag and a happy meal, make whatever kind of music you want. <laughs> right. And it's the same thing with grunge. You know, they realized on our own label on Geffen that you could go up to uh, Seattle and, and license for 20 grand, a completely finished independent record from sub pop. Right. And, and uh, you know, I mean, this is at the time when you know, bands like Nelson and Whitesnake were making quarter million dollar videos oh, yeah. each. Yes. You know, so, you know, it was basically the tail wagging the dog. The bummer on the art side of things, well, on the philosophical side of things, here's the drag. It went from, oh, we're halfway there and living on a prayer right. to life sucks and everybody owes me. Yeah. And <laughs> I, well, to be honest with you, look, my whole thing and Matthew's whole thing, what we're all about, we have never been victims. Mm -hmm. We won't allow anyone to victimize us. Right. We don't, we've never felt like anybody owes us shit, right? you know, and that's, that's our whole thing. So philosophically, it, it was such a, a paradigm shift that we felt incredibly disenfranchised. We didn't get it. Oh, yeah. We didn't understand it. We didn't understand the comfort that that whole generation was finding in, you know, being a victim. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and also as a, as a musician, 
dude, I'm a guitar player. Yeah. And for like eight years there, no one played fucking guitar <laughs> solos, you know? You weren't playing anything in those songs. You were just playing no, a few chord, I mean, bar chords. Kind of like, exactly. Just kind of powered on through. And, you know, there were some standouts. I still think Chris Cornell has one of the oh, greatest voices to my, ever hit rock and roll ever. My favorite but, uh, of the grunge was, was oh my, Chris. I mean, yeah. just what, a, what, a, what an artist, what a oh, singer man. he was. What a tragic loss. Oh. But. You know, I, you know, I'm wise enough to kind of like look at the whole art form, just like any art form, just like in the confidence rock, uh, you know, style that we were playing at the time. There were some standouts and there were a lot of followers that were trying to be the next Guns N' Roses, yeah. you know, Guns N' Roses pops. And then, you know, the business responds by each label goes out and finds, you know, uh, an L.A. Guns or something like that. And that's that's what they did. And they were doing that forever until the formula kind of played itself out. And like I said before, you know, right. until it got bloated and expensive. Right. And then, you know, everything changes, you know, um, I just think as an artist, you know, at the age that I'm at right now, the one thing I'm really grateful for is I, get, I still get to make music. I don't have to. I get to. And I, and I love it. And um, you have to love it in order yeah. to do it for That's as long right. as I've done it, because it's a really, really difficult business and a thankless job in a lot of sense, because they've really you know, sucked all the money out of doing what I do. Right. And, uh, you know, with COVID and all that stuff and, and forcing us to stay home for no reason. Right. You know, we're we're here in our one source of income since no one's selling records anymore. It doesn't work that way. It's all about, you know, live shows and stuff. Um, it's very difficult for, you know, uh, a million musicians that just want to go out there and play shows and can't. That's right. and, and millions of fans who want to hear it. Exactly. It's just it's a really interesting year. It sure is. You know? It sure is. And hopefully it won't, you know, it won't be long and it'll be over all this uh Oh, COVID you know, I stuff. always said to my kids, I said, you know, just watch it. You know, the day after the election, this COVID-19 thing's mystically going to get cured. And sure, <laughs> and sure enough, they announced yesterday, ooh, yeah. the Pfizer vaccine is yeah. 90% effective. It's so it's, it's so transparent. That's it, another it topic. Yeah, that exactly. That's another whole topic we could talk about, but it's just Oh, uh, God. You know, look, gross, I don't, don't want to get into politics gross. and all that stuff, but there's so much bullshit going on it, right now. I just want to start playing ugh. my guitar again. There you go. You know? See, let that be the anthem. You know, yeah. I mean, because I want to hear music. I actually play music. I want to get out there too, but I I want to hear live bands, and I don't I don't care about politics. You know, I have I my wanna, I want to go out but, and I want to see shows and I want yeah, to hang out with please. my neighbors and have a good time. Damn please. it, you and, know. And and you're in Nashville. I mean, that's like the music capital. I mean, there it needs to be every night, everybody playing. It should be a constant thing. It should be always. Well, hey, without, look, life is tough enough as it is without uh, a pandemic and without all that kind of crap. Uh, you know, to to be honest with you, we all need as human beings, we need community. God, we need to, yeah. to gather. We need connection with each other. We're we're social beings. Right. That's been the hardest part of 2020 oh, man. is the agenda was to be scared of your neighbor, to mask up and don't let anybody see you smile. Right. To to become just basically a, a, a number, a statistic. Right. And with what I do for a living, it's completely foreign. To what I do, I'm here to be a teacher and a healer and a connector exactly. of people and souls. Exactly. And so I, that's been the toughest thing. The, the good news is, you know, we've been able to prepare for an anniversary year. We got a do-over from the record company as far as an anniversary for the After the Rain record, right. which we'll talk about. And we also got to work on Firstborn Son, our new project, which I'm really grateful for because, man, we did so many shows for the last 30 years over the weekends that. You know, basically, that kind of takes us out of society for four days a week, every single week from traveling and doing shows. Right. That it, it makes it really, really hard to focus in on doing new stuff because you're so committed to doing a great job with with what it is that, you know, kind of 
keeps the light bills paid and yeah. keeps your kids fed that before you know it, you put your head up. And if you're, if you're not careful, 20 years has gone by Ooh. and you know, you haven't pushed yourself no matter what you do. And, oh yeah, and, definitely. And this was really kind of a good year for me to realize that, you know, I, my groove had become a rut. I was so focused on, on earning an honest living that I, I basically had realized I'd put myself in this position where I was living to work and not working to live. Yeah. And this has given me the opportunity to, to reevaluate that, to, to get closer to God, to get closer to my family and go. my brother and, right. and make great music, you know? Very good. Good. I like to yeah. hear good stuff, man. I'm, I think everybody will be happy to hear that. Um, oh, maybe and maybe not. No, I mean, I mean and it doesn't you really know? matter. It's just, yeah, it doesn't really matter. It's all you about know, you. I mean, really. If, look, if they if they don't like it, God bless them. Find your own path. You well, there, know. There you go. Find uh, what works for you. Well, I mean, it's in the long run. This positive, you know, thinking positive and and you know and really believing that God is fixing everything. You know, and we just gotta, you know go along with him, you know, just keep going. And, uh, look, everything you're else, person. You yeah, look, you know, faith, the, it, the issue of faith is, is pretty fascinating and you need to remind yourself no matter what situation you're in, in life. And we do have really dark times. All of us do. Right. But faith is something that gets tested constantly. Oh man. You know, you're not a person of faith through the good times. You right. know, you you rely on your faith when things are the darkest. That's right. And uh, this has been a pretty tough year, it, it's, you know, I mean, it, it really has. And, you know, my, my piece really does come from the fact that, you know, I'm incredibly blessed and I, I feel grateful for everything I have, even when things are taken away from me. You know, I'm grateful for moments like that because it just makes me appreciate the moments when things aren't taken away from me. This is but that's the way I've, I've always felt. And, you know, I mean, God's got this always. Sure. You know, he, sure. He, he does. And, exactly. uh, you know, we're not in this fight alone. So exactly. that's all I'll say about that. Well, that's, that's a good, I mean, I, I'll keep that in my heart, man. That's really good stuff. And, uh, yeah. And it's been a rough year. Like my dad, uh, he, uh, had cancer taken out of his back and then he had back surgery. He had a stroke and, oh. uh, he's not able to walk. He's been trying and it's been this past year has sucked. And then, oh. and then all that happened. I, I had a friend that died. I had some other things some family issue, you know, just a ton. And then the pandemic stuff and then the others and I've having some health issue and it's like, everything is like, Whoa, you know, but then you realize, Hey, sometimes going through the trials, when you get over that hill and that hump, you realize, Hey, maybe it's not as bad as I thought it was. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm alive. you know, God, <laughs> you know really. And I, and, uh, you know, God bless you for, for all of that. You know, I just, you have to realize at all times that your worst day, is someone else's best day. That's it. And that is the truth. And uh, look, I just think that if you go through life allowing yourself to be victimized, allowing yourself to be put in that mindset yeah. where you feel that futility, you don't feel that God's got you in the palm of his hand, that you also don't, that, that he loves you so much, he gave you the freedom to make your own choices. And you have the, those crossroads in your life where you can make your own decisions, you can make your own choices. If you feel that way, it's great because the world is nothing but possibility. Your life, the life in front of you is nothing but possibility and choices. Right. But if you relegate yourself to, well, you know, I have no control over my decisions and, uh, you know, it's it's all pre-written and it's, you know, we're going down the road that a lot of us have, have started going down emotionally in 2020. Yeah. You know, it's really a drag because 
I, I really think if you give up your accountability in your situation and what's going on in your life, and, and what I mean by that is if you give up uh, the, the responsibility for the way you perceive the things that come to you in your life, Mm-hmm. Then you basically you're like calf in the wind. You, you you have no no feeling of destiny or control or hope. Most importantly, and uh, you know I allowed myself to go there a couple of days. Yeah. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I did. I tried it on for size. You know unconsciously for a couple of days, and I hated it. it don't it's fit. just not me. It's it? not who I am. Uh-huh. I, I felt horrible for two days. Right. And it was like, you know, I woke up uh, that third day and I kind of went, wait a minute. Yeah. This 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 one's on me. I got to, I got to sack up here right. and, uh, you know, I got to find my hope and, and my gratitude and man, I felt so much better. And if, if anybody like is out there feeling that way, I look, I dig it. I understand it. Yeah. But, um, you know, you take accountability for it. You can change it right now. That's it. You know, if you want to, cause a lot of people out there, a lot of forces out there that kind of, kind of want us to feel despondent. Right. I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna subscribe to it. You know, not my thing. Well, we've, we've all come too far to give up, you know, and this is a testing year. It's just a, it's a time to look at yourself and go, I can do this. You know, we're at yeah. the end of this year, you know, let's coast down the rest of this year and let's believe for good yeah. things to happen. I'm believing. Hey, even, even better, brother, you know, help your neighbor out if your neighbor's yeah. flagging too. You know, oh, if you've yeah. got a friend or something that, you know, that, that needs a shoulder to cry on, be there for him. You that's know, exactly that's the right. first thing that's going to make you feel better about yourself. I'll tell you, is contributing to someone else. That is true. But, so I don't know true. where we went off on this hey, sidetrack here, but sorry but that's, about that. Hey, that that'll work. I mean, I, that that's that's awesome uh, subject there, and I'm glad that you uh, that you said that. Um, but but we'll move to. Uh, well, how about this? You know, your your family is uh, listed in Guinness Book of World Records as the only family to reach number one uh, record status in three successive generations. Right? So can you tell yeah, us about cool that? Stat. Yeah, not not yeah, too shabby cool. for a family. Well, you know, obviously, I can't can't take any responsibility for my ancestors <laughs> and the hard work they put in. But, right. um, you know, I mean, the, the one thing I have to say about my grandparents and my father, you know, they, they made a decision early on in their career to not be a part of the machine. You know, they, they there were so many of their contemporaries that were so busy, uh, you know, basically, you know, uh, leading political campaigns for their careers and yeah. going to all the industry parties and all that. And Oz and Harriet were never that way. They were all about the the work and, you know, making people happy. And that's what they really focused on. You know, that's why, you know, Ozzy had the, uh, Oz and Harriet had the longest running television sitcom in history right. and never received a single Grammy or a single Emmy their entire year or their, their entire career. And I, and our father, you know, sold half a billion singles. He was the only person other than Elvis to have a number one rock and roll album in the fifties. So cool. And yet never received a single Grammy. Sad. And no, it's, it's, it was a choice. I mean, and I think that's kind of like the family karma, you know, the family karma has been kind of forcing a fit in an industry that is not uh, receptive of people who are, you know, more, more concerned with the people they're making their art for, than they are the accolades. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting stat. It's a wonderful thing, and I'm very proud of it. But what I'm most proud of is that Oz, Harriet, our father, and me and Matthew really really never planned on it that way. It just, uh, we never really, you know, sought that one out. It was just, you know, kind of nice to have happen, and it's a, a nice stat to, to feel proud of. But, you know, what I'm most proud of is waking up every day now and, and having a song 
in, in my heart that I finish and I'm, I'm pursuing and I'm still excited about, you know, all these years later, no matter, no matter how many changes our industry has had in the last 110 years that mm-hmm. Nelson's have been, been making music, um, every generation is different. And like, you know, our Oz and Harriet had a number one song in 1935 with their big band called And Then Some. And our father had a couple of number ones with Traveling Man and Hello, Mary Lou in uh, in 59 and 61. And then Matthew and I had Love and Affection in 1990. Right. And, uh, you know, all of them went number one. As a matter of fact, uh, I think Hello, Mary Lou was the first number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts because it came up with the, with the uh-huh. Holy Grail of charts that particular year. And his song was the first number one on the Hot 100 chart, uh-huh. which I thought was pretty cool wow. um but uh you know all these years later it, look you know having stats and accolades and, and all that stuff is really cool but it's a really interesting industry that we have right now it's really in flux you know um and every generation's like that i remember when we were first starting you know right before uh, we you know we started playing the la clubs when we were kids we were 12 years old and and we were in junior high at the time and the the big threat to the music industry at the time Believe it or not, were the stand-up video games, the arcade oh, yeah. machines. Yeah, Pac-Man. You know, you know, like Pac-Man and and all that stuff. I mean, right. the kids were spending their money for the first time on video games and not going down and buying records. And the industry at the time didn't know what to do. Um, it, it's it's best. I mean, there's a video that Tom Petty made. Uh, you got lucky. Yeah, and, I love it. And it was you know, love yeah, it. I loved it too. And they're out in the wasteland and yeah, all that stuff. My favorite, actually, favorite video yes. by Tom Petty. Yeah, very, very cool. And it's like kind of like a takeoff on Mad Max and the Road right. Warrior and stuff. Like like society has ended and they find themselves in this place and there's some video games wrapped up in plastic and the last scene is he kicks it over. Right. You it, know, and, that's and awesome. It, it was very <laughs> so cool. cool. But you know that was then. Right. And then uh, you know, hey, 1990 rolls around. We're doing our thing. And I remember, you know, up until that point, all through the 80s, uh, it was kind of a gimme. If you were a hot band, a hot rock band in America, you were going to have a really great career over in Japan. And, uh, you know, you could you could tour here and then you just plan on going over and doing a month in Japan and, you know, seeing tons of fans and making lots of money. And they're great fans over there. I mean, they were like Beatlemania fans. They're really, wow. really cool. Wow. And then the cell phone came along. Right. And I remember when our Japanese record company, you know, we, we had a conference call and it was like in the middle of, of uh, Nelson's tour for After the Rain. And they said, well, you know, we don't know how big the tour is going to be over here for After the Rain. It's like, well, we don't understand. It's sold a lot of records over there. And they go, yeah, but the kids apparently are spending all their money on a new thing called a cell phone. And we thought we kind of like, oh, yeah, well, what's that? It's not that big of a deal. Right. And, you know, obviously it was a you know huge worldwide paradigm shift. And exactly. that was the issue then. You know, nowadays, you know, kids uh, are not as excited about uh, their favorite band's uh, records coming out because, you know, everybody with a home studio or a dorm room studio or a computer with iTunes in it or a a garage band thinks they're an artist. So there's a lot of there's a lot of traffic out there and people are spending all their time. You know, either watching makeup blogs or looking at TikTok or any of that stuff. So, you know, this, uh, but my point is our industry has had all kinds of challenges since its inception That's over right. over a century. And you have to uh, you have to adapt um, and, and strike that balance like Tom Petty did in that video of not catering to you know respecting the cultural changes and stuff, but not catering to it so much 
that it compromises who you are as exactly. an artist. Exactly. And that's kind of like where Matthew and I find ourselves right now with the new stuff that we're making and uh, with preparing for the 30th anniversary of the After the Rain record, too. You know, I'm just really grateful that we've always made uh, music that we've written and it's always been the music that we've felt like making in the moment. And uh, I mean, that really is to us living the dream and the definition of success is doing what you love to do for a living and having the bonus of getting paid for it occasionally. That's and that's nice. amazing. <laughs> that's nice, isn't it? Um, and, and speaking of uh, you and your brother, when you were younger, did how did y'all realize, you know, did you look at your dad and go, I can do that, or I want to do well, that? Well, you know, it, it was kind of our normal. you got to think about it this way, okay? Like, it, it wouldn't have been – it would have been the same thing had we come from a long line of plumbers, let's say. Let's say our dad was a plumber, grandpa was a plumber, cousins were plumbers. Uh, over dinner conversations, all you talked about was plumbing and all that stuff. So it would be that you know, growing up and you were observing – all of these conversations and watching them work and then, you know, them taking you to work every now and again and you realizing that you could be good at it and you actually liked it. You had the social proof around you that it was possible to earn a good living and be a great plumber. You know, much the same as I'm sure it was in the Manning house when they were all right. growing up and watching, you know, Grandpa football. Archie talk about exactly. football and they decided they wanted to play football in junior high and Pop Warner and high school and college and then pros stuff. It was their normal, and that social proof of, of achieving at the highest of level was always around them because that's just what the family did. That's the best actually communicate to you what it was like growing up in our house. It was just our normal. Our our dad, from the time we were babies, was I mean, he was putting his Stone Canyon band together at the time. So you know, it always seemed like he had an acoustic guitar in his hand. He was writing his own music, his own songs for the first time in his life. Um, you know, he had his whole teen idol career early on, in the right. beginning of rock and roll, and those were mostly songs that other people had written that he he basically translated, and and he was really good at that, and all that stuff was really credible. But when he put his whole country rock thing together, his whole singer songwriter thing, and his friend Bob Dylan challenged him to be a writer, that's what Matt and I grew up in. Awesome. We grew up in a house where he always had a Martin acoustic in his hand. He was always working on a song or. You know, he pushed our cribs out of the way in our nursery and was rehearsing the Stone Canyon Band. It wow. was just our normal. It was always around. So for us, you know, our whole thing, we started playing when we were six years old and had our first recording session at 12 and started playing the L.A. clubs. It was just something that we always were around, something that we always wanted to do and something that we always worked on, you know, because, you know, I, I suppose it's natural for any son to want to be like their pop if they had a good relationship with them and, yeah. and we did with our dad sure. but you know in saying that you know we never made music that was similar to what our dad did we, we made our own mark we grew up in that era you know of course our dad was doing the stone canyon band and there was the eagles were around and all that but we also grew up in the arena rock era that's right with bands like you know queen and heart and yeah. bad company and foreigner uh were around so when nelson actually uh, was born if you listen to that, you'll, you'll hear a really good blend of the background vocals that definitely came oh, from yeah, sure. listening to the Eagles and the guitars from listening to Boston. Sure. You know, they're both there. Yes. No, I agree. I, the harmonies, I, I always pay attention to harmonies. I remember when, when y'all you know came out with the uh, After the Rain, that's the first thing I noticed. I was like, man, the harmonies on this is, and the acoustic guitar. I was like, whoa, yeah. 
Oh, uh, <laughs> cool, man. Yeah. Well, you know, when we grew up with the Stone Canyon band, the one thing I have to say about those singer-songwriter bands of the era, especially the country rockers, the, the Eagles yeah. and such, uh, you know, Poco and, and yeah. uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, man, I always loved harmony. I love you know, it, I just, man. I just thought it was great. And it, it, bottom line, growing up in Laurel Canyon at the time, bro, everybody sang, yeah. you know, everybody sang. That's right. just the way it was. You know, right. people would come over to their house and someone would break out a guitar and, and there would be a round started and everybody would be singing, you know, three and four part harmony, just really awesome. naturally. Awesome. And that's one of those things that I think we have, uh, you know, in common with Carney and, uh, and her sister, Wendy is that, you know, we grew up in similar households where that kind of singing was always going on. I mean, they grew up, you know, around beach boys rehearsals, you know, and, and, you and we grew up around our dad's stone Canyon band. So, so awesome. you know, it's re remarkable to me. I mean, I, I, every now and again, we'll get a new player in, in our band and, um, it kind of separates the men from the boys when you realize that, you know, some of these guys were great guitar players and, and great personalities and talked a big game about being able to sing. And they were totally cool singing on their own as lead singers in their own trip. But we tried to incorporate them in our thing. And the next thing you know, you realize they literally can't hear harmony parts. Right. And, and that's really foreign to me and Matthew, because to us, it's like breathing. It's automatic. You know, I, yeah. it's automatic. We, we really just don't even need to think about it. You know, if someone's singing and stuff, I mean, I, I hear the third, the fifth, the seventh, the ninth, like just, just like literally like, like reciting my own name. It's really easy for me. And I didn't really realize that people who didn't, uh, weren't lucky enough to no. grow up like we did around those kinds of singing, uh, those kinds of singers. Th there are a lot of people out there that can't hear that stuff. And to me, it's just not that impressive because it's like, that's ah, just kind of what we do. Right. Well, I mean, but it is, but it is impressive. I mean, I guess sometimes you have to step out and look back in and go, you know, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Pat yourself <laughs> on the back and go, I, that's, I, you know, I like me. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, really though, it, it is, I mean, I, I just got to say, man, I, like I said, it, it just, the harmonies, the songs uh, were awesome. I mean, just when I first heard them, actually my brother, he actually bought the cassette, you know, and I was, oh, right and I was like, who's the, you know, I remember watching MTV. I was like, man, who's this, you know, the two guys with the, the blonde hair and the, you know, the, the, <laughs> Half the girls, you know, uh, had crushes on you. The other half were jealous because of your hair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they wanted they want to know what kind of shampoo you had. You know, all that stuff. Yeah, that's funny. But uh, that's funny. but it no, was we, just we so. Were blessed, man. At least, at least I heard didn't sleep in a box at night, so it's all good. <laughs> that's it. Uh, oh. But but you, it, it isn't like you were this. That's another thing I realized about y'all was you weren't just this flashy band that came out. We're gonna do some glam hair metal. You know kind of garbagey stuff that everybody does it was actually good you know it was actually oh, stuff thanks, you want to hear you're like this is a good and it actually influenced me for songwriting so i mean i mean that's oh. what you know I, I grew up listening to that so i'm just want to say man oh thank you man well look you know the one our dad had very few words of advice people ask us if he actually gave us any advice he was kind of a man of few words but he uh he did say one thing he said you know when you're writing songs start with an acoustic guitar Mm -hmm. All right. So, you know, don't don't start in the studio. Don't start with any production. Start with just your your melody and an acoustic guitar, because if you can make it sound good and interesting, like just like that, then the production that you throw on that's, you know, got a good shot at improving that, making it better. But you can't really polish a turd if it doesn't translate <laughs> right. as a, just a vocal acoustic thing, then throw it on the woodpile and start again. 
it was really great advice because that entire first record and every every song since has always started out on an acoustic guitar. And you mentioned acoustic as as far as the presentation with Nelson when the final product, the After the Rain record. Mm. It was always a really huge element to what we did, um, not just because of of how it would sound recorded. You know, I, I love the way it does sound and all that, but because we started our songs that way. And when we first put out the the After the Rain record, uh, we actually were. We, we actually released our record in the era of the whole Millie Vanilli scandal. I don't oh, know if you remember that I or do, not. I sure do. I sure okay, do. Okay, so and they won a Grammy. They, yeah, they, yeah. They, there were these two guys that came along, and you know they 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 were a part of the machine, and the machine propped them up, and the next thing you know, they won this Grammy. You know, two good-looking guys from Europe and all that stuff dancing right. around in a weird way, and and you know there was a really strong image, and the songs were really great pop songs uh, written by Frank Farian, who'd done a bunch of uh, disco hits back in the day in Germany yeah. and and all that. Next thing you know, they, they gets found out that these weren't even the guys that sang on right. the music. They were just a, a couple of model guys. They pulled, pulled out of nightclubs exactly. Exactly. that they 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 were a product. And um, you know, much to the the world's chagrin, you know, they went up, they accepted a Grammy, they were part of a whole scam. And you know, I mean, I, back then it was a huge deal. Nowadays, I mean, everybody seems to be fake, but exactly. back then that was a big deal. Right. You know, I mean, this is before auto tune and all that kind of stuff became standard. And uh, and these guys got got found out for their fakery. So along come Matthew and Gunner and everybody sees our image. And the first thing they're thinking is, oh, man, this is Millie Vanilla. <laughs> you know, these guys are the same. <laughs> and so we had to go out for about a year before we actually officially released the album. We went to the smallest radio stations all across the country and worked our way up the, the food chain from the smallest ones in the middle of nowhere to the priority two stations and finally a year into it the priority one stations the big ones like the the z100s and the kiss fms and we had to bring in our acoustic guitars with us two guys two acoustics and you know now it's really standard to do but back then no one did it but we had to go in there to the radio stations live and get on air live and show everybody that this was real that we were real that we we weren't we weren't a propped up thing. And that was, you know, on the one hand, it was uh, understandable because, I mean, did you see what we used to wear back in the day? It's crazy. But, um, <laughs> you know, all, underneath it all was the knowledge that everybody needs hit songs. Like when Matthew and I were first you know, coming up in the L.A. club scene, people identify us with that whole Sunset Strip, you know, metal yeah, scene. Yeah. The irony with that is that we were never part of that. Right. Matthew and I grew up in Hollywood, sure, but... Matthew and I started playing professionally in the LA nightclubs when we were 12 years old. Wow. Okay, so that would have put us in the history of music about 10 years earlier than the Van Halens. Right. You know, 10 10 years earlier than the Dawkins and the Poisons and the Motley Crues. Okay, we were doing the LA clubs in the era that preceded that, in the the skinny tie band era. They were basically, it's kind of like the Sharks and the Jets. There were two factions of the la club scene one was the punk rock scene okay so you know uh we were playing in the same clubs and alternating shows with bands like you know black flag and the dead kennedys and and all that and uh you know also you had like the knack and the go-go's and all the the bands you know and uh matthew and i were the 12 year old kids that had to get escorted into the club by an adult play our show and get escorted immediately out because the club served alcohol but we were the youngest kids uh, in there sharing the same stages and competing with guys that were twice our age 
in a really highly competitive music scene. Right. It was arguably a lot tougher than that Sunset Strip scene that came 10 years later. I mean, I mean, the, the, the worst that would happen, you know, in the in the Sunset Strip scene is someone would steal your girlfriend. If they were pissed at you. You know, <laughs> when Matthew and I were working our way through the L.A. clubs, you know, the heroin junkie that was doing the shiny, happy pop music when yeah. he was on stage would knife you if you were five minutes over on your set before. Them. Oh, wow. You know, and it was tough. Jeez. But we were really great. We were really glad that we grew up in that era and we really had to fight hard. You know, through all of those club gigs, you know, three a week, uh, you know, uh, moving our own gear and competing with really aggressive adults, it prepared us for what we would have to endure when we were actually trying to make our mark when Nelson was finally released. And we weren't the priority band on Geffen at the time. Uh, priority band, the priority band at the time was a band called Little Caesar that wound up uh, not doing I well. Rem- but I remember them, yes. Yeah, and, but they got all the nod. You know, basically what happens at every label – there's one band that kind of gets the blessing per quarter. Like the, the label rallies, they go, okay, this is going to be the priority band. We're going to take all of our radio favors. We're going to take all of our money and we're going to put it behind this one band for the next three months and see what happens. Right. right. Nelson was never that band. Okay. Mm-hmm. We were, we were the, we were the second choice. Little Caesar was the first choice during the quarter that we were going to release. But what broke me and Matthew was the same thing I was telling you about with the two acoustic guitars and two guys. We were, uh, we had a break where our manager at the time uh, knew somebody at MTV, and Daisy Fuentes, a VJ host, was yeah. uh, she was doing dial MTV at the time, and she went on vacation. And they asked me and Matthew to go in and host, and they didn't. They said, you know, leave the guitars at home and all that kind of stuff because we asked about that. We brought them anyways. <laughs> and at that, this is long before MTV Unplugged, long before anybody was doing anything like that. Matthew and I show up with the image that we had. We basically were, you know, introducing videos on Dial MTV, a couple of unknown guys, and ripping up on each other and making fun of each other and ourselves. And every now and again, we'd break out an acoustic guitar and play in and out of commercial breaks. And we did that for a week. And we came back to a mall riot at our local mall. It was like the first public appearance that we had. It was that was the difference was just doing TV on on Dial MTV for one week. And then we show up and it's pandemonium. But that is what broke Nelson. Wow. It, it, it was the fans that actually did it. You know, it, it wasn't the industry. You know, the, the fans actually called for it. And, you know, I think a lot of people at the time, which was pretty cool, they, they actually just really liked the songs. And, and that's where really everything kind of started and finished with me and Matthew. We realized that when we were working our way through the club scene when we were kids, you know, if you notice even in the Sunset Strip scene back in that day, it seemed like every local band had one song that the yeah. girls would wait for during their set. That's one right. good song, right. you know, the rest was all about getting you know people to your shows and, and paying to play and doing all that stuff. But most of those local bands had like one song that all the girls resoundingly like rocked out to and waited for throughout their entire set. And Matthew and I were saying, well, that's kind of a bummer having to wait through an entire set for one song that you want to hear. What, what if we actually, do the work we spend a couple of years writing songs to where every song is that one song right and that was our intention when we made the after the rain record we wanted to make it a song that or an album where you know it would be a very difficult time to pick the single you know that's what we wanted to do that was our intention and and uh you know i i think that by the response i think we we actually went a long way to achieving that goal right well did you uh when you were starting out then did did you ever kind of say, hey, you know, my dad, you know, is is Ricky Nelson, and I need, you know, 
I mean, but you well, never actually, did quite, that, though, right? No, no, no. Actually, quite the opposite. Because, because remember, we sold millions of records to kids who had no idea who Ricky this Nelson is true. was. This is true. You know, the only people that were ever impressed, ever, and and it was kind of irksome to us because it was kind of a distraction, were the were the people in the press when we were doing interviews. You know, if they were of a of an older generation, you know, I obviously press people nowadays. There's really, you know, with some notable exceptions, there's no such thing. But you know, back then. You know, people went to journalism school and they studied yeah. and they and they had a reverence for what it was they were reporting. Right. And in a lot of those people who had been around for a long time, they, they try to find kind of like a, an interesting angle to every story. So the the lazy angle for a lot of those older folks was, oh, the, the family connection. Right. But what they didn't realize is just like, you know, Oz and Harriet in their music before our fathers, each generation, generation of Nelson has done something that is specific and appropriate to the generation that they found themselves in at the time and, you know, made the music that they themselves would want to listen to and, and hope that, you know, people kind of responded to it. We did the same thing. And so for us, it's like, you know, how could you listen to love and affection and hear any similarity between love and affection it's, and hello, Mary Lou. It, it's, you know? it's not the same. It's not the it's same just, at all. It's, it's not the same. And I think over time, especially with the interviews we were doing at the time, um, you know, we, we, you know, had to kind of bring, draw that, draw that line and say, Hey, you know, I know that there are a lot of acts that have preceded us that were like, you know, for example, uh, Julian Lennon. Okay. Which I've heard is a really nice guy. I met him one time and he was a total dick to me. Maybe he just had a bad day, but you know, that guy was on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, right? You know, a couple of years before we released. And I, I didn't understand. He was like a phenomenon for six months, but everybody missed his father. I respect that. You know, his approach was intentionally similar to what his dad did. Oh, yeah. I remember the song. Okay. Much Too Late right? for Goodbyes. I, yeah, I remember that song. Yeah, and, and Velote, you know. And, yeah. That's and, and it was like, you know, John Lennon Light. And, exactly. And look, that was his path, and that's totally cool. It was just never what Matthew and I were interested in ever. We, we had been doing our own music since we were six. We wanted to make our own path and, and our own way and our own statement. And that's what we did. And the irony in that is that, you know, we waited 15 years to make our own mark and, you know, have our, our own records in the books and, and do all that stuff before we even entertain the idea yeah. of doing a show that featured our dad's music. And that was a response because there were a lot of fans out there of his that really missed him, right. you know, just like we did. And the music was great. And the, the blessing for me of doing like a show like Ricky Nelson Remembered was not only making people happy, but I, I became a much better, more well-rounded guitar player in doing that because you know nelson's stuff was very specific and uh you know i could play uh, arena rock pretty well i grew up doing that so that was easy but going back to the drawing board after i'd had my success was very similar to what my dad had to do when he put the stone canyon band back together and learn how to write songs himself you know i had to go back to the drawing board and learn all those james burton parts yeah and there's a reason why so many guitar players that we all love were so profoundly influenced by those early Ricky Nelson records, you know, and, and I have a new respect for it now because that stuff really was that great, yeah. you know, and when you listen to Jimmy Page talk about, you know, his first influence on guitar, Brian May or Tony Iommi, and they all cite, you know, those early Ricky Nelson records with James Burton, man, I understand it now and I get <laughs> it. And that's the funny thing is, is like, and those were the bands that I grew up with right. that wouldn't have been, Maybe, maybe, you know, who knows? They might not have existed had, you know, Probably. had uh, Jimmy Page not been watching, 
you know, American television at the time or something and, and seeing the girls swooning to Ricky Nelson and James Burton, you never know. I think you're right. But that's yeah. what makes music so great is like, you know, all these years later, everyone, we're all influenced by each other. And, you know, I think if you do this for as long as we do, you realize, look, we're all just fans of music. That's right. We love music. You know, when a good song, when we hear a good song for the first time, and we know that the person didn't phone it in. They really gave a shit right. when they when they when they wrote it and when they recorded it. Man, it's it's such a great feeling. You know what I'm talking about. I do. You're a player. You know. I do. You know when you've done something good. You know, and th- there's no feeling like like knowing that you've got something that you you're really proud of, and then you go out on stage, and you look out in the audience, and the people are are mouthing the words back to you that you wrote exactly that's just that's the best feeling in the world it's a blessing i'm sure yeah it sure is and and after all these years and in uh 30 years i guess after the rain crazy huh right and then matthew's old (laughs) you're right maybe you'll catch up with him one day yeah i know speaking of which who is older Uh, matthew's older by 45 minutes 45 minutes okay i I was i was i don't know if i heard that i was trying to remember which which one of you was oldest He's an old man. Forty-five. That's yeah. why he's old. Yeah, he's forty-five, yeah, 45 minutes. Forty-five minutes. Yep. Old, old geezer. Uh huh. <laughs> so, uh, so whenever you got the, uh, you got a record deal with Geffen, and then you had uh, Love and Affection. I remember that on MTV. They played it all the time, and I was really impressed. And then uh, I, I was checking out the video again. It brought back some memories and. Uh, love and affection. You had the slow mo thing going on. Your hair was going everywhere and jumping. I think uh, Matthew was jumping up and down like a rabbit or something. Well, we we had figured, you know, when we were putting the whole thing together, that was our first video, and we interviewed uh, a handful of video director producer guys. You know, back then it was pretty cool because budgets were pretty, as I mentioned before, were pretty high. You know, when you're making videos, because MTV at the time that was really the way people marketed bands and and got bands successful is if you had a a successful mtv video it would break everything open so you know the record companies at the time were were totally cool with spending a lot of the band's money to do that and um and we met these two guys named jim yukich and paul flatterty and those guys were uh they'd just done a bunch of phil collins videos and what i liked about the phil collins videos back in the day is they always had a great sense of humor you know, yeah. they, they always they, they never really took themselves too seriously. And, right. you know, Matthew and I have a philosophy on life. We call it Nelson's rule of three. Rule number one is be undeniably good. Rule number two is always keep your sense of humor. Rule number three is don't be a dick. Those are the three <laughs> rules. Yes, that's good. And, and when we actually sat down and, and talked to these guys, we realized that, man, they're really good at what they do. And they they just they are funny and and they're just really cool so it's like all right well let's work together and they had uh, some ideas of some techniques some camera techniques that had never been used in videos before and and that whole slow motion speed up thing it was really interesting having to put that together because we in rehearsal we had to uh prepare for making the video we actually wrote out certain sections of the songs phonetically and then we reversed them so we had to memorize the chord shapes where our hands were going and all that stuff oh, in wow. reverse wow. and phonetically memorize these the words to those sections that we had written out phonetically backwards. And they filmed us doing that, and then they flipped the tape. Huh. So 
so the, the you know our hands were going to the right place and all that kind of stuff but uh, you know the snow was falling up and birds were flying backwards and our hair was flying around all and it looked right. really weird but you couldn't really tell how it was done that's yeah. how it was done yeah wow you know and know. then and then there were certain scenes where it looked like we were in real time then all of a sudden we would speed up yeah. and spin around yeah. you know all that stuff and that was done kind of like the, with the same thing like we would sit there and at a certain point in the music, we were told, okay, now play really, really fast and then slow down. And all of a sudden they put the tape to normal. And when we played really, really fast, it would be really slow. And it was very cool to make that video. And, and the reason why we went through all that trouble is because, you know, we're thinking, okay, we're a brand new band. There's no guarantee whatsoever. We're going to be successful. We're, yeah. There's a lot of traffic out there. A lot of people vying for success. And, you know, we kind of knew as people who were watching MTV, you know, if you're lucky, you're cruising through the channels and stuff. You have about a second to a second and a half when people are blazing through the channels to catch someone's attention. That's right. So that first video was specifically designed to be completely eye-catching. Like everybody else was doing those black and white warehouse videos That's right. at the time. We were completely Technicolor. Okay, those guys were all like dirge-like and taking themselves seriously. We were having a sense of humor. All of the things – we wanted to make an anti-statement specifically to make people park for long enough on MTV to go, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and it worked. That was the point. <laughs> it worked. You know? and, and, and it did, and it, it really, really did, did work. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. really grateful to those guys because without that, I don't think Nelson would have happened at all. Well, the uh, and then after that was the After the Rain song, if I remember correctly. And that's the right. Video. The, the next, the next and, one was After the Rain. And, uh, and yeah. did, how did that? Uh, I remember. I'm and I remember the video, and uh, and I, it was on like every like the top. What was it? The in the afternoons, it's like around five o'clock, the top ten or something. And it was on there every night. I remember. I think Warrant was on there. I saw red, I think was one of the, the videos. Yeah, I think that was the one they were doing at the time. And yeah. um and I remember just loving the video and the, the kid, you know, he's having a hard time, he's got the feather, you know, and he's he's uh you know, he comes to the concert, I think his dad yells at him and he says oh, yeah. You're never gonna amount to anything, you know. And, yeah, yeah, you got, you got pulled into a poster. It's some really interesting Yeah, how did you come up with that uh video? Well, you know, and this is gonna sound really weird, but this is the God's honest truth. Okay, okay we we knew we were going to be filming a video. We had to film a video. We knew it was going to be filmed on a particular Wednesday, like a week. It was like a week before we had you know, the, the schedule that we were going to go down and film a video. Now, a week before filming this video, we still had zero idea what the video was going to be. Huh. We, didn't, okay. we had no idea. Right. And uh, I woke up one morning, and before I woke up too much, I, I rolled over and – and uh, there's a I always keep a pad and nowadays it's a cell phone with a with the notes in it. But back then it was a pad and pen and pen. And before I woke up too much, I wrote down what I had just had uh, what I had just dreamt. And and that video start to finish was I mean, just every beat in that video was the exact dream I had had the night before. Oh, wow. That video was a complete and total gift. Wow. I know it sounds woo woo and strange no. and bullshit, but it's really true. <laughs> it, it happened. And um this is what's fascinating. I mean, everything from the, the symbolism of, you know, the, the feather and, yeah, and the rescuing Indian. the kid yeah. and, and all that stuff and down to like the, the specific dialogue. I mean, th this is how weird this was. We had a casting for the person who was going to play uh, the father and the person who was going to play the son. Right. 
Right. And uh, the video opens up and they're in this trailer in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's right. And the drunk father is yelling at the kid and, and all that. And uh, everything that you hear that father saying to the kid were specific lines that our mother, when she was drunk, said to me and Matthew were growing oh, up. Wow. So it was very important that we had that same dialogue. But dig this. We did the casting and my direction to all these people, they, the, the people would come and the actors would come into the room, the casting room. As uh, as as a couple, okay. So you'd have the father character, the person who was up for the father role, and the kid, and um, and it was random who they got paired with and stuff. And my only direction was, the father is drunk, he's yelling at the kid. The kid is internalizing it. It's not fight. The kid is not fighting back. The kid clearly hears this a lot, loves his father, would love to have his father's love and acceptance, but doesn't fight back. Go. Every single actor that came in the, the pairs of actors that would come in the kid without fail would fight back and all that stuff and ruin my direction so mm. so they didn't get the job right. about 10 different pairs in these two people walk in and they turned out to be the two people that got used in the video they just randomly got paired together dig this man my my parents names are rick and chris right. all right the kid's name was rick in real life and the father's name the actor his name was was chris wow. wow and they came in and they nailed it they just <laughs> nailed it it was, wow. it was stunning and so it seemed, seemed to me like everything was kind of like given to us the idea for the video the actors were presented and you know given to us in the right way with the right director producer everything came together and i was so proud yeah. of that video so proud of every way it went together now, now you know i don't know if you remember but there was some really cool special effects yeah. that were in that video that was a that was a program that disney invented at the time it was called paintbox and nowadays i mean effects like that are just basic and they come in every home computer yeah back then that was really serious like hollywood movie stuff it looked like a movie. It, it reminded me of like uh, Wizard of Oz. You know, it went from yeah. like a color, like a like a C yeah. CPO to a yeah, color. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was very, very cool. It was very, very expensive to I do imagine, that. And, I imagine. And uh, the record company didn't want to pay for it. So Matthew and I took some of the, the money that we made from uh, a publishing advance, and we invested in our own video. So I, you know, I edited the video myself. Wow. Uh, we're very proud of it, and we submitted it to MTV. And at that time, Matt and I needed a break, so we went to Hawaii for the first vacation in years. Okay. Okay, so we're over in, in Hawaii. I call my manager, and I'm really excited because that morning they had had the acquisition meeting at MTV where we, you know, we got to show them. This is after having a number one video for love and affection we we're so excited to present the committee with uh, the after the rain video and our manager said you're not going to believe this i was so excited he said you're not going to believe this i said what he goes they laughed at the video so what do you mean he said like all of the spiritual references you know with the native american with the yeah. feather with the, the the father and the son and all that stuff they laughed at it they thought it was funny hmm. and they've refused to show your video on mtv unless you edit out all of that and just have the performance segment. No way. And I said, is that their final answer? And he said, yeah. I said, well, just go tell them to fuck themselves. <laughs> and he said, well, I can't do that. You wow. know, they said, well, all right, well, let's, here's what you can tell them. Tell them, well, forget putting it in rotation. Put it on in the middle of the night as is. They're not allowed to touch a thing. They can play it at 3 o'clock in the morning one time. And see what happens to their phones. 
And so they agreed to it and they did it for two straight weeks. They wouldn't move it up in rotation. It was played one time a night at between two and three in the morning. It was the most requested video that they had for two or three weeks. And we had to go to the head of our label at that time who called the head of the network and said, look, there's somebody there that's got a personal problem with Matthew and Gunnar Nelson will not play this video. It's the number one most requested video. What are you doing? Um, Well, that guy got fired. And the next day, uh, our video was, you know, after the rain was on in heavy rotation, but only because we stuck to our guns and we wouldn't let them edit, which we felt was the most important part, which was there were a lot of kids out there that were going through really, really hard times like Matt and I had when we were kids. And that's not funny. That's, that's truth, man. That's real. Yeah. And, uh, and we were willing to stand behind that. And there've been some fights that I'm pretty proud of, you know, through our, our career where we stuck to our guns and, you know, it, it, it bore fruit, which was really cool. But, you know, that was kind of one of those things where, you know, actually standing behind what was behind that video and what, what it meant was more important to me than being, you know, successful by yeah. everybody else's terms. And fortunately the planets aligned. Well, you had the dream and everything. I mean, that kind of was your, your answer that you should do it. <laughs> you have the dream. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking so. I mean, that's the way I think. Yeah, but clearly, I think so. you know, a bunch of suits in the tower yeah. there in you know, I, New York didn't feel the same way. So, you know, what it is they, what it is. It's, wow. it's kind of tough when those are your gatekeepers, you know? Yeah. And it's 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 kind of sad that, you know, it has to be that way sometimes. I, I wonder. But, but you know what know? I love is, like, you know, most people just know that video and they, they think it's catchy and it's, you know, cool and interesting and different and stuff. But, uh, you know, I've never told anybody about everything that went on behind the scenes to ha- to bring that to people. It was there was a lot of a lot of uh, dreaming and a lot of fighting for your dreams that were involved in that. And I know that, again, sounds really trite and hokey, but it's, again, the truth. I, that's a good story. Well, well what about uh, I know I think after that song you had uh, Only Time Will Tell, I believe. Nope, nope. The next song no, what was, was More it? Than Ever. More Than Ever, that's it. Yeah, the next whoa, song was whoa, More whoa, Than Ever. More Than Ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah now, and that was shot down at the Olympic that's Auditorium. Right. That's right. Seven cameras. That was live. That was actually our band. If you listen to the video, if you watch the video on YouTube, just right. bring it up. Right. You need to bear in mind that what you're listening to is live. Okay. Oh. Okay, now now why that's important is it's so it sounds so similar to the recorded version that's on the After the Rain record, people don't think it's live. But that is actually us wow, recorded. I didn't know that. That's how Nelson sounded live. Wow. That is us. If you wanted to know what Nelson was like and what the shows were like, watch the More Than Ever video, listen to the audio. That's no, There's no samples, no tapes, no nothing. That's how we sang and that's how we played. That's awesome. Um, unfortunately, we spent a lot of money and wasted a lot of money, arguably, by rolling in the record plant mobile truck and recording us and all that stuff. When basically all we really needed to do, because it's so similar to what was recorded, is just basically take the recorded song off after the rain and add a, an audience track to it. It would have done the same thing. Right. But um, but that is a fact, and we did that video specifically the way we did that video as a departure from say Love and Affection and, and After the Rain, because we'd put our tickets on sale uh, first right after the uh, Love and Affection video, the tickets didn't sell. We put tickets on sale again after after the rain and the tickets still didn't sell because people still thought oh well this is just it looks too polished and and you know too professional and too fantastic and and this is not real so the intention of the more than ever video and the reason for doing it as a live video like that was to show people what we were like live and get them to the shows get them to buy tickets right 
and that's why we did that. So we picked Wayne Isham, who had just done the Living on a Prayer video for Bon Jovi. Cool. And uh, unlike in Bon Jovi's case, they used the Scorpions audience. They were opening for the Scorpions at the time when they did that video, and they were using the Scorpions audience for their audience shots. That, uh, those were really our fans. They showed up. They camped awesome. out overnight at the Olympic Auditorium, and thousands of kids showed up uh, for the filming of that video. And that, you know, I gotta gotta thank you know both Kiss FM and Pirate Radio in Los Angeles at the time for uh, for making that happen. But boy, that was a dream come true because that was the first time that you know we'd been out doing uh, radio promotion and all that kind of stuff, yeah. and we'd been kind of detached from what was really going on with our career. You know, until we went uh, we went down in the cars to the to the video shoot, and there was a huge crowd and lines of people outside the Olympic auditorium and we're like, God, what's going on here? Is that like a political rally or something like that? <laughs> right. And they're like, you idiot. These are for you. <laughs> like no way. And it's like, no way. You right. gotta be kidding me. Wow. And, and sure enough, that's when we kind of realized, you know what? This is working. It's actually working. People are, are, are they love the music and they're watching the videos and, and now they want to come see the band and they want to support the live show. And uh, that was really kind of the turning point. And that was the beginning of, you know, it was right before we went out on tour. And that video actually really did a great job for us in just kind of showing, like I said, all those fans that were considering whether or not to buy a ticket. And then the economy was pretty tough that particular year. and We made sure our ticket prices were really low to, uh, to, to respond to that. Right. But, um, you know, we wound up doing 13 straight months in uh, arenas and sheds all over the country and, and filling them. It was a dream come true. It was really, really cool. Awesome. And then you had the uh, only time will tell after that one. Yeah, I, I forgot. About then, it. So then, what, then it was. So, talking, yes. So how did how did what's the story behind that video? Well, that video was only half done. You know, unfortunately, it was one of the, my biggest regrets. What, what I was not really privy to is between doing more than ever and the video for that and doing only time will tell, which was done about halfway through the after the rain tour. When we're out doing shows is the grunge it hit yeah so the priority for nelson at our label had shifted and they basically weren't willing to support us and uh and we really felt it it was really that was like the first glimpse of like okay well this is the video i mean remember we had had three number one videos up until right. that point right. i'd written all three of them and uh they asked okay well what do you want to do on this one on only time will tell and i said okay well realized that the song was never written as a boy-girl relationship song. I actually wrote this for a friend of mine that I went to high school with who kind of fell into drugs and mental uh, illness and all that stuff when mm -hmm. he was 18. We kind of grew up together mm -hmm. and stuff. So that song originally was written as an open letter to my friend to see, you know, if he was going to get his shit together and kind of like we we're going to yeah. find each other again and have friendship. And, yeah. you know, it kind of, you know, people kind of took it for, for being kind of a typical love song, which is fine. Yeah. But I said, look, I don't want the video to be typical. Here's what I want. You know, of course, we have to have you know the live performance thing that we cut to every now and again. But I've got a concept for this where the video opens up. It's black and white, kind of like a sepia thing. It looks like you're looking at really old home movies. And it's like the 50s going into the 60s. Yeah. And it opens up on two kids playing in a sandbox. Pans out, two kids playing in, in a sandbox, black kid and a white kid. Mm -hmm. in the 50s and the parents are distracted and stuff uh, in the background uh you know talking to their significant others and all that stuff 
and then they look and they realize that they're two kids of different color playing together in the sandbox and they, there's a whole scene where they run up and kind of snatch their kids away from each other and the kids are confused and all that stuff mm. and and that was it and then at the end of the video it goes back to the same you know modern day in the same sandbox and two and two kids of different color playing together happily yeah so that was the concept for the video and we actually filmed live portion of that and i was i was assured okay we're going to film the live thing then and then we could do the concept stuff you know uh separately right and we did the live stuff and they gave me some bullshit line after we got done with that we filmed at paisley park at prince's place out there and so well, we love this video so much we don't want to put any more money into it and we think it's good to go as is and i was really upset mm. because i wanted to make the statement you know i wanted to make the personal statement and and that was another example at that particular time you know, basically they'd moved on to Nirvana and I did not have the pull there anymore to hold out and do what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. We were so busy doing, you know, five shows, six shows a week uh, on the biggest stages of the country at the time that that one kind of slipped through the cracks. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I like I, I like the performance segment of, of it and it's really fine and stuff, but it could have been much better. Yeah. That's that's one of the regrets I have. And, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of a cold comfort that that particular song, you know, here in America, obviously grunge had hit and, and that didn't chart as highly as the other ones. But, uh, you know, in the countries in the Pacific Rim where karaoke is really big, only time will tell is actually Nelson's hit. Wow. It's not love and affection more than ever and after the rain. It's actually only time will tell hmm. that was made famous by, by people in Asian countries going to karaoke and singing that song. Wow. So, hey, you know, it's cool. You just, you just kind of never know. Well, the, I remember the exact time, like I said, I was really watching MTV and I remember like right after that song or right during that song, I remember that y'all were on tour, but I also remember seeing this band with, it was called a buzz clip and it was this guy with grungy hair and a green striped shirt. It was Nirvana. And I th I'm like, that's kind of cool. You know, I guess it was different. I thought it was like, yeah. like, you know, it was on like, what is it? Uh, 120 minutes or whatever that was on MTV. Then. Oh, right. And I think right. it was on there. I was like, you know, it's kind of interesting, different, you know, alternative. I didn't know it would be such a big thing. I thought it'd be something like you kind of listen to, you know, underground, kind of cool, whatever, you know. I, <laughs> yeah, I thought it had great, you know, great attitude. Cool. But remember, I'm a songwriter. Yeah. Okay, so, so for me, the kind of songs I write, you know, I guess I, I had a little country in my soul back then, too. I wanted my songs to make sense. Yeah. Okay, so... Look, brother, I still can't understand a fucking word that Eddie Vedder sings. <laughs> hey, now, Shyamalan. I, 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 I mean, I can't. God damn it. I can't. I'm like, I felt like a kid and the emperor has no clothes. It's like, does anybody understand what he's singing? You know? And then, then you know, with the Nirvana, the whole beat poetry approach to songwriting. Look, it's valid. I don't fear any art. Yeah. I just don't get it because that's not who I am as an artist. Yeah. I respect it. Yeah. But, you know, all of a sudden it made everything that I did and I grew up doing since I was a baby, it kind of invalidated all of that stuff because, you know, you know, my libido, a mosquito. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, seriously, I just, that wasn't my thing. I just didn't understand it. Yeah. I, and so, I, I mean, either. that was probably around the time I started listening to Garth Brooks. Hey, same you know. here exactly yeah. that's exactly what i did i went from uh the hair bands as they call it to uh country that yeah, whole, I, the whole I, 90s I, 
<laughs> and it's totally cool, and I love '90s country. I, I thought sure that do. was great. Yeah. You know, I mean, okay. and I, I do. I still do. The songs were great, and the artists were great. Yeah. I made friends with most of those songwriters, and they were the ones that got me to Nashville, awesome. and you know, and 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 all of that stuff is, uh, you know, I mean, everything happens for a reason. But I, I think our country, I mean, a huge section, the millions and millions and millions of people that listened to Confidence Rock didn't all of a sudden, you know, wake up one day. And all of them didn't wake up one day and go. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen to Pearl Jam. No, you know there were a lot of people that felt disenfranchised, but it's okay. It happens like every two or three years if you think it's the cycle. The cycle is, you got three years um, in high school, right? So right. junior, freshman, senior, right? right? I mean, a freshman, freshman, four years actually, four, four years, uh, freshman, yeah. sophomore, junior, senior, right? Right. Okay, so that's basically if you're lucky and you're a band, you naturally get a cycle of four years. Because it's it's from when somebody first you know listens to you as a freshman and they take it through their high school experience. Okay, so um, but each incoming freshman, the one thing they don't want to do is they don't want to inherit their big brother or their big sister's music. They want their own stuff. That's right. So basically, you got your cycle of four years. So um, you know the whole confidence rock thing that we were really lucky because I think we had three different cycles. You know where it started out in uh, like the late 70s those were the that was the first class of arena rockers that's why you had like your i mean the real guys that Foreigner, were you know, like yeah yeah and scorpions and stuff and yeah. yeah journey and all that then you had another cycle and after that that's you started getting your bon jovis then mm-hmm. your next cycle you got your skid rows and your white lions and your that's, nelsons that's it you yeah. know so you basically had three cycles that spanned between 10 and 12 years and then all grunge was at least the organic part of the grunge movement, all it was, was that was the next cycle. The next group of freshmen came in. They wanted their own stuff. But the music industry is not stupid, and they knew that they needed to market to those people. In 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 the one hand, it was really a smart business move for them because, like I said, they went from you know million-dollar record deals and publishing deals and you know $250,000 videos to a $20,000 licensing fee and $5,000 videos. Right. You know? So on the business tip, that was really great, but it, you could tell it wasn't organic because all of a sudden MTV went from playing Confidence Rock to Confidence Rock was outlawed, or was outlawed if you weren't a heroin junkie from Seattle, you were not getting on MTV That's right. overnight, and the Gap was selling flannel at the same time. Oh yeah, <laughs> overnight. Exactly, it was everywhere. Overnight, it, it was, was. You know, it was Doc Martens and and flannel, yes. and that That's was right. it. That period. Was it. You know. Right. Um. So. You know, I was just kind of one of those guys where I was like the last one because I was working so hard. We were out on that tour, yeah. and that tour ended about six months after the you know the grunge invasion. So you know, I come back to my hometown and I'm walking down the street and I'm feeling pretty good and all that stuff. And you know, I had a bunch of grunge kids lean out a car window as they were driving by on Sunset Boulevard, you know, screaming you know profanities at me. And I'm sitting there kind of going, "What the fuck did I do?" <laughs> You know, right. and I guess all I did was I represented, you know, the the old guard and uh, and, you know, the I, I guess the the industry bloat that was confidence rock and stuff. And that was never my intention. You know, those were my streets that I grew up on and in and, and yeah. clubs that I cut my teeth in and all that stuff. And all I wanted to do was write great songs. That's all I ever wanted to do. Right. You did it. We still have you? Yeah, I, I think I lost you for a second. You're back. Okay, you're good. Okay. I think you're cutting in and out. 
Oh, wait, wait a second. How's that? Is that anybody? Yeah, that's good. That's it. Yep, sorry about that. You're good. Okay. I think I lost you again. Let me see here. I'm just going to check my internet connection. I have to use internet calling at my house because we can apparently put a man on the moon, but we can't get cell service at the Nelson house. <laughs> hey, same here, man. Yeah, I got like um, one bar and I'm, I'm praying, you know, I'm like. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all good. It's all good. Yeah, all yeah right. it's fine. Well, that's cool here. And uh, I hate to say this, but I actually am 12 minutes behind my, my other interview that I have. Oh, so, wow. Um, Sorry. Apologies for that. No, no. Well, uh, so you need to go. Um, well, uh, make a long story short, you've got a new album coming out, right? Is, is that what? Well, there are two things that are going on this year. Uh, for the Nelson fans, there's going to be an anniversary uh, record. Um, I, I was assured by uh, our record company, which is Warner, I'm sorry, uh, which is Universal, that they're going to consider basically 2020 a year that did not happen. So okay. that would be the appropriate year for the 30th anniversary for Nelson. So 2021, they're going to give us a do-over. They're going to let us do a comprehensive Nelson Greatest Hits. Oh. And uh, right now we're working on a deal where we can actually, not for the first time, we can combine the three records that Geffen had of Nelson, yeah. which is uh, After the Rain, Because They Can, and Imaginator, right. with the other titles that Matthew and I have done on our own through our own label, Stone Canyon Records. We're going to combine the entire catalog which makes it possible for the first time ever for the record company to put out a comprehensive career spanning greatest hits record. And that's what we're going to do. And that's going to be alongside the uh, recently remastered uh, after the rain album that Matthew just did. And that's going to be coming up on the Nelson tip for 2021. We're excited about all of that. Awesome. And then uh, we've got a new project called Firstborn sons, which is our great American country rock project. And that's that's going to be our future. That's what we're working on from this point on. It's uh, basically a kind of a culmination of all of the music that we've made that we've loved throughout all of these years. But our sensibilities now, which is, uh, you know, we, we basically, you know, growing up with the Stone Canyon band around us, this is kind of a modern take on that, awesome. you know, um, done our way. And uh, I'm very, very excited. It's the best songwriting I've ever done. And uh, I'm I'm just really most proud of this. So if you if you like the After the Rain record and you like what Nelson has done, this is very different from that. But you know you can hear the through line of the uh, the the songwriting that we take a lot of time on. Yeah. And uh, and it base it's best best described as you know two two brothers leading a band that's a combination of the Eagles during the Joe Walsh era and Leonard Skinner. That's awesome. <laughs> that's that's a, what we're doing. That's gonna be cool, man. I'm looking yeah, forward man. to it. Uh, Me too. Me and, too. I'm, and, I'm really looking forward to playing you some music. Yeah, and I'll be letting everybody know about it. And uh, and uh, and my dad, though, before he let you go, my dad loved your dad, and he played him. And we we've played those songs on guitar. My dad showed me how to play guitar, and we've done "Hello, Mary Lou" and "Traveling Man." All right. All for right. years, man. We've and then, oh, great solos so, in both of those songs. And Good I'll, Lord, I love. Yeah that it, yeah my dad was telling me about uh, uh a single he, your dad had in 79 uh i think it was on epic records okay and uh yeah he was telling me about it uh i'm trying to remember it was the 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 uh i can't remember right now but anyway he was telling me all about it. my dad he's a history music buff and all that stuff and he's really oh well hey look give your dad a, a hug for me i and, sure will uh, man. i know you guys are going through some challenging times 
and stuff, but, uh, but yeah. I'm sure everything's going to be okay eventually. It always is. It sure will. And I appreciate you, you know, talking today, man. I'm a, like I said, big fan and thanks for, thanks for hey, the look, encouragement. Look, I look forward to a time I get to shake your hand in person. Hey, man. We'll run into each other we, down the road. We sure will. In fact, I'll be, I'll be hopefully going to Nashville and hanging out real soon and I'll try to well, look, hey, look you you've up. got my number, so, yeah. so drop me a text and stuff when you come to town. We'll hook up. I sure will, man. Appreciate All it. Alrighty. And I hey, I appreciate you. it. Good luck with your show, man, and thank you for the support. Hey, thank and, you. Uh, thanks for everybody out there for uh, for letting me do what I've been doing for so long. Awesome, man. Appreciate it so much. Well, I'll be, all right, you I'll too, man. be talking you take to care you. Of my best to your family, all right? All right, thank you, man. All right, see you soon. All right, bye. Bye-bye.